0: Hi, everybody. Jordan here with Aguilar Amplification, And today uh, on our our second episode officially of the Aguilar podcast, we're here with Kaveh Rastegar joining us on the West Coast. Um, So Kaveh, thank you so much for joining us, man. We're uh, we're definitely eager and anxious to talk to you.
1: Hey, Jordan. uh, Thanks so much for having me.
0: Cool, man. Well, listen, uh, for those that... um, don't know you. i feel like you're you're the bassist that we all know we just haven't put the name to the song yet um and we could go through the list later of all the people you've um, written songs for of course and and have performed with and and quite a resume um from john legend ringo bruce springsteen of course founding member of knee an incredible band charlie puth we could go through the list but um where did music and and the bass start for you
1: What was some of your earliest memories? Um, I, you know, I had a, I had a really musical, uh, uh, just parents that just loved, loved music and, uh, loved, um, you know, just to, they they were, I was, uh, you know, I'm an only child and, uh, both of my, my, my mom and dad, they split up when I was really young, but they, um they both had just massive record collections. So there's just tons of music playing in the house when I was growing up. And, uh, uh, my, my mom, uh, ended up with, you know, this man who was kind of my stepdad for a chunk of time. And he's a great guitar player, uh songwriter. Um, and he, uh, he has, his name is Mike Johnson. He had this band called Thinking Plague and still does that. They're kind of like a really well-known, uh, just art rock experimental group. And so there's, and, you know, so that was growing up in the eighties. There was just tons of, um, all the music that was coming out that was kind of new and exciting, like Kate Bush's records and, um, uh, the police and talking heads and Peter Gabriel and all that stuff. And then, And then my dad was like an avid listener of like the Rolling Stones and Muddy Waters and, uh, Freddie King and the Beatles and classic rock and blues and reggae, a lot of Peter Tosh and Bob Marley and Jimmy Cliff. And so that, that kind of stuff was playing in the house. I was really fortunate to just be around it a lot. And, and, um, and then my dad, uh, or, you know, it was, it was right around, you know, school band time, you know, in elementary school. And my dad, um, he's, you know, he's Iranian, he's from Iran. And there's a kind of a joke with Persian, um, Persian people that, that, you know, a Persian parent will let their, wants their kids, you know, to do, be whatever they want, to do whatever they want. They could be a doctor or a lawyer, you know? So, um, the, uh, my dad's like a really unconventional Iranian man he's a he's a chef and just he wanted me to be a jazz saxophone player <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> you know he was like you got to play sax and uh right around nine years old uh I started playing sax and um and then I kind of you know played that I was pretty good in school band and took private lessons and did all that stuff and but it wasn't until I was about um 12 or yeah, 12 or 13, where I just really got into, um, I just started really getting into my own taste in music. And that Mm -hmm. was like, um, you know, bands like, you know, the dead Kennedys, the circle jerks, these, and not jazz saxophone. Yeah. Not saxophone, (laughs) but then also, (laughs) yeah. And then also a lot of reggae and, uh, And, uh, and then also, uh, you know, I mean, that kind of music, like punk rock music where, um, you would, you would have like the middle of a song would just kind of stop on a dime and you just hear this, like just killer bass riff. And then the the band would like kick back in. Um, that kind of sound to me was just like, Mm -hmm. like, what is that? What is that? And, um, and then it was when I was, I remember the cure their album fascination street came out and that was in, um, 1989. And, um, there's this, or the other albums called disintegration and the song is fascination street. And I remember hearing that and being like that baseline is, it's this guy, Simon Gallup, And he's mm-hmm. just like, just plays this, like the, the line is just insane, beautiful. And just kind of, ripping. And, and then, and that was it for me. Like I kind of picked that baseline out on a, an acoustic guitar that was sitting around the house and then just kind of self-taught, um, just, you know, picking it up from there. Interesting. And I, I love that kind of musical exploration where it's just like, there's no, there are no lessons. There's no, this is how you do it. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. It's just like, pick up an instrument and just create your own relationship with it. Mm. and find out how to make sounds. If you just play with one finger up the, up the neck, that's fine. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that, that was it for me. And then I was off and running.
0: Would you say, I've heard you say in, in, um, it was another interview I saw on you and you had mentioned that, you know, for a lot of these, um, songs and albums you were hearing, you were discovering, I guess, after the fact that the bass was such a driving force in the song, um, is that, I guess, to connecting to your songwriting side do you still think like that is is when you when you track or put down bass parts are you still you still have that driving mentality has it changed is that is that a big part of your sound would you say now
1: you know i don't know i think i think as a as a bass player um well i think first like when you go back to um I think everybody who listens to this, all the bass players who are listening to this would agree that when they start, like when I started playing bass, I didn't really realize until, until I had the instrument and started making sounds with it. I didn't really realize how fundamental the bass is to all of Mm -hmm. the music that I had listened to and how much I kind of just took that for granted. You know, like, yeah, like, you know, this, this is, you know, when you're like, for me it was, I I couldn't have picked out what the bass was until I started playing it. Until I recognized the sound of it. And, um, but then going to like, you know, talking about it now, if I go to work on a song, work in a studio or, or, you know, to play bass on a project or to write, I think that that's one of those situations where I kind of think about what my role is. Like, like as an actor would like, who am I, who like in this, like for this role, like Mm -hmm. what is the character that needs to, to portray that role? Like, um, does it need to be like more of a McCartney kind of a character? Does it need to be more of a, a Jamerson or, you know, or a, a blend between, you know, different kinds of roles and, um, and, you know, I think about it a lot that way, you know, just, just yeah. how, how, uh, um, you know, and and I think that's what was so important for a lot of bass players to do is just to like kind of familiarize themselves with like a lot of different kinds of bass playing. Yeah.
0: Interesting. What, what was, uh, I mean, let's just go through some of, who are some of the, your heroes? Who are some of the ones that you heard and you were like, man, I got to put that up, add that to my Rolodex.
1: Man. I mean, Early on it were it was people like you know Klaus Floride from the Dead Kennedys and Daryl Jennifer and and also Robbie Shakespeare. Um uh you know, and then and then it was like, you know, well, then definitely, you know, because I I came up definitely during that era of it was definitely flea. And it was definitely um, Les Claypool. And then it was Larry Graham. And it was Bill Laswell, was a yeah. big one. And I just loved Bill Laswell for like how kind of innovative he was and how just in the music that he put out and he was a part of. And the kind of I think that's that's another thing about Flea that was just is just continues to be so inspiring, is is those those guys uh, they would, he's like the perfect ambassador for the base, you know, because he, he's so he's, he's so great, but he's also so open to every kind of music. And if you're a 13 year old kid and, um, when I was 13 and 14, it's like, I think not unlike a lot of people, it's like, you kind of have your tribes of, uh, certain people that are into, you know, back then it was like, you were into metal or you were into like, you know, the grateful dead or yeah. you were into, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, or you were into to rap and hip hop, you know, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't even like touch that other genre of music. And I just remember, uh, you know, listening and listening to interviews with Flea and just hearing about his like reverence for like, you know, Fela Kuti and the meters and Parliament Funkadelic and yeah. also Black Flag, you know, like that to me was just like, um, it, it's just, it's exactly what I wanted to hear. So he was a huge influence, um, especially for as far as that like openness to to music and then, man, you know, Pino Palladino, I remember seeing, Pino when I was 14, uh, playing with Joan Armitrading. My, my mom used to listen to Joan Armitrading and, and I remember seeing Joan Armitrading on like a, like public television, wow. you know, show. Um, and she was just singing, playing acoustic guitar, just sounding so fantastic. And then it just, it's just her and a bass player. And then it just goes over this like tall, lanky, girly headed bass player playing. And I was like, Oh my God, who is that? Like, yeah. what is that? Like, you know, um, uh, yeah, those are big ones. You know, Lewis Johnson's a huge one. Um, uh, Jerry Germont is a huge one. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many And McCartney. McCartney is like massive. Cause it's like, there's nothing like, you know, like if you want to become a, you know, a professional bass player, like if you, if you want to play on, <laughs> if you want to, yeah, if you want to play with bands or, you know, or, um, or, you know, or go and record on records and do all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you, uh, you need to, uh, like, you're going to play music. That's going to sound like the Beatles, if not play Beatles songs. So you might as well like learn a lot of those bass lines, you know, and that's like how to play that music, that entire genre. And James Jamerson is massive. It's like, it's, I think if you ask a lot of people, a lot of the answers are going to be the same big ones for me too, is Tina Weymouth from the talking heads. Yeah. Her bass playing is just outstanding and her bass lines are so beautiful yeah. and creative. And, and it's um,
0: interesting. These people too, all, I feel like all the ones that you've mentioned too, particularly like, uh, Flea McCartney, um, you know, and, and even going now to talking heads I feel like there are also people that have such a curiosity and appreciation for things outside of the world of music, our yeah. life and all that stuff that, you know, flee. I mean, people forget like flee's biggest hobby is reading and he's got book clubs and, you know, he's I written. And, so, and, and so I, I've got to imagine that, that all, you know, informs what they do musically. Uh, what are, uh, is there anything for you too outside of the world of music that, you know, uh, I guess, you know,
1: fills you creatively speaking. I mean, I, I love, I've always loved to draw and, um, and you know, our band knee Body, I would draw a lot of our, do a lot of our artwork, a lot of the, um, um, some of the cover art and a lot of the um, flyers, like early on, uh, I would draw all of the flyers and go to Kinko's and pass them out and you wow. know just do do that whole thing. And I have, I still have a lot of them, but yeah, that and our t-shirts and all that stuff were, were drawings that I would do. Um, I love you know, I, I don't get to draw as much these days, but, um, but I also love to, uh, I love to read as well. Um, and I love films. I love, I love watching film. My dad, awesome. like, that's his. That's his passion that I really inherited, um, thankfully. And um, I love to play chess. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: um, that's and that's something that like I always used to really love, kind of growing up. And I remember I used to play these gigs. I grew up in Denver. I used to play these gigs uh, Wednesday nights at this cafe called Muddies, and um, I used to play with this, this amazing trumpet player, this guy Hugh Reagan, um, who is is fantastic. He's like a, a great trumpet player. And this drummer, Tom Sultan, we used to do trios. I was probably 18 and he loved to play chess. So we would always play chess in set breaks and, oh, like, that's and cool. we'd play like two in the morning, we play um, music till two in the morning or so. And every set break we'd sit and Hugh and I would sit and play chess. And, and so these last couple of years, I've gotten back into playing chess and that's a lot of fun. So
0: That's awesome, man. <laughs> that's so cool to hear. Well, I, so I guess you know it's it's nice. I I think this is uh, you give me a great progression into um, talking about uh, you know songwriting. You've mentioned uh, Paul McCartney, of course, and and who I think you know, of course, besides a bassist, I mean, his catalog of work um, as a songwriter. Where did
1: songwriting start for you? Um, For me, it kind of started right at the beginning of my bass playing. Um, it was, it was, I guess, I I guess getting back to that whole thing about, um, about being a, um, uh, like drawing, you know, drawing for me was, was so much fun because I just loved that idea of having a blank page and just starting something and spending time And then, you know, maybe going up and, you know, like, you know, being a kid, like going to, you know, having, you know, sitting and having dinner and maybe watching some TV and you get back and you see your drawing, you work more on your drawing, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, you've got this thing that didn't exist, you know, that, that you made, you know, that, that wasn't there yesterday. Like only you made it, you know, and something, you know, that, that really appealed to me. And, um, And I guess on the bass, it was, it was, uh, I, you know, I was self-taught and I just remember kind of just picking up the instrument and, um, and kind of just making sounds out of it and discovering how to, you know, you know, like make a shape, make, you know, play a fifth, you know, and, and kind of move that shape around and, and, Mm. and, you know, pluck it a certain way and kind of, and, um, and I remember doing that early on, just kind of like coming up with little you know, little melodies or little bass parts or like little um discovering the power chord, you know, like yeah. one one five one and just moving that all over the place. And I mean that's what it you know, like if, if I ever teach lessons, I'll talk about that where it's like you know, oh that's a nice <laughs> Yeah, like where it's like where you have, you know. Yeah. Like whatever you want to do like just discovering these shapes on the bass or like all of a sudden, you know like I remember just discovering you know the, 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 the way that you can you know, you can move two voices around and I didn't really even look at look at it like that but I mean, you know uh, a lot of bass players would would write there would be these solo bass pieces or I loved Chris Squire yeah. I loved, you know, Cliff Burton, you know, like he had that anesthesia pulling teeth, you know, that bass piece that he wrote on one of their records. I think it was Kill Em All. Um, you know, uh, so so it, it, it kind of started there, you know, yeah. um, like early on where it's like, just kind of, and I guess you could call that improvising, but it's also just, you know, falling into some things and make, making making little accidents and mistakes and just finding stuff and and then just hearing it. And then mm. that helped me kind of discover, like make a kind of like trust my perception of the instrument. And then it kind of went on from there. And I remember, I remember like a few years later after having started and I was really lucky to have fallen in with a really great group of musicians and around my age and a lot of whom I still play with and I still write and record with and are doing great things. Um, and I remember, you know, like, I remember having this feeling when I was, when I was younger, where it was just like, um, writing was like a real, like, it was a real sense of identity in that, like, especially early on, like there would be, I remember just, you know, everybody deals with competition and everybody deals with like, you know, especially when you're young, you know, like there'd be another bass player that's working sure. on something and, and, you know, and kind of vibing you and, and, and that composition can be great and healthy, but, but sometimes it can kind of get you down. And I remember having this, for me, it was like a coping skill where it was just like, no matter what I can, I've got my like voice or like the, the kind of songs, you know, like, and, and they, you know, whether they're good or bad, I like them, you know, like yeah, that kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. Like, you know, and just, it's like, you kind of have your own little protective Island, you know, where it's just like, this is, this is something I'm making. And that, that really helped kind of fuel me, especially through the, those kind of like insecure moments where it's like, sure. Oh, this dude's, you know, getting all the gigs or this guy's like, you know, you know, whatever, yeah. like so, so-and-so likes this guy better. You know, you know, there's, there's all, there's all those, those feelings that are just like, always happening in music but
0: so Kave how does that like uh, so so now you've got that island and yeah. you built it up um and I love how you describe it because I think uh you know identity you know um as a bass player is something probably we don't talk enough about but I think we sort of disguise it under the finding your sound but I think right. you know everyone has something to say whether it's in the form of a song or solo or backing someone and so I like that you described it like that finding you know uh, your Island and finding your identity in music that, that, that sounds less intimidating than like, what's your sound in a world of sounds that I have to now find something unique, you know? And, and, um, but how do you, how did that Island now meet all these other songwriting islands like, uh, Michelle, uh, Bruce Springsteen, um, you know, all these guys who have, you know, now moving, I guess, to the, um, the, 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 the professional side of the conversation where they've got people that are listening to their stuff and are have certain expectations and things like that. How did you, can you give us some examples of maybe uh, an artist that you worked with where those two worlds came together and what that was like?
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of writing that I do and, um, but, but, but I'm also still, and I, and I also still love being a bass player. So some of these artists that you're mentioning are people that I've just played bass with, you know, and, and like, am happy as, you know, as could be to get to play bass with them. Um, uh, so I guess, um, and, and on that, on that tip, like that, that's, that's an interesting thing for me that I had to navigate was that road where it's like, So I had done a lot of development in that way of just kind of like, you know, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, creating what I thought was my sound. But, you know, like you always look back on yourself at certain ages and you just, you could, you know, for me, I wince, you know, like, it's like, oh God, you know, like, because you just know what you thought and you know what you thought you knew. And, but, you know, God bless me, you know, like God, God bless him, you know, like he's just, you know, he, he didn't. You know, but for me, I'd spent so much time kind of building up this, this, you know, a, whatever it was like, I, I, I did, I did write a lot in the bands that I was in and had bands that I had started. And some of them led to these bands like mebody body where, yeah. you know, we were like real self kind of starters. And it was like, it had a real DIY ethic that was like, not unlike these punk bands that I just loved. Um, and um but but when you move to I remember moving to Los Angeles like 21 years ago, um, and just being like, you know, people know you in Denver, but now you move to LA and it's you just have to start all over again. And all of a sudden you're in the same pool with these like professional bass players, <laughs> these people that are just like they are so good. And they're also, they've been so good for years and years and years and years. And, and so that's a long way of saying that, like getting to play with, you know, some of the names that you're talking about, yeah like, I just, like, I create my, you know, I, I create my own island, my own feeling of, of what makes me feel good. But I also have to, I can't neglect. And I remember just doing a lot of catch up work when I moved here, where it's just like, well, I got to finally like transcribe all those people that everyone talks about because that's who want people want to play with. They don't want to play. Like if you're, if you're going to be, a um, you know, a supporting member of somebody's project, you want to be able to play like the, you know, you want to be able to play the music, like they want to play it. And, and you want to, you want to sound like their heroes and you want to sound like their old bass player, you know, like you want to, you want to be able to play like that. And it's like, it's a really lucky feeling to finally get to the place in your career where it's like, you hopefully get hired for both. Like you can do, you can play like, you know, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, you can, you can, you can kind of play something like Paul would or like Willie Weeks would, you know, yeah. like a Donnie, you know, on a Donnie Hathaway live or whatever, but hopefully you're also being hired for what you bring to the table and what you kind of bring into it. And that's, mm-hmm. You know that that for me took a long time to get to you know that kind of that kind of a thing and um
0: so of the ones that you've done songwriting with um uh if you can share us uh with us a little bit about some some highlights throughout the years for you uh working with some people is there any ones in particular that stand out
1: yeah um Yeah, I guess, I guess a big one, a big one that kind of just (laughs) jumped into that world. So like I was always writing with my own bands and one of them was Knee Body. um, And uh, uh, there was that and, um, but I I remember, I remember really wanting to kind of break into that scene, break into that world um, uh, because, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but like I, I, I always you know kind of just like the the like the i guess you could say like pop songwriting or or whatever where it's like um it's a different skill set it's different than than um and it's and it's and it's just as it can be just as intense you know but for me i i, I uh i i ended up getting to write on um on Bruno Mars first record and that was like the way that that all came together was, was pretty, was pretty crazy and, and fortuitous, but it was, um, it kind of came, it came together, um, through, uh, a connection, uh, who worked at this label that used to come and see my old band. And I used to, I mean, this comes, I used to do all the merch for my old band and I would draw our t-shirts and I would sell the merch. And so he would come and, um, he came to give us, uh, give me a card because he was from Atlantic Records and, and he just always stayed in touch with me because this band, this band was called Dakar. It was this hip hop orchestra that we started. We started 21 years ago. 70 piece orchestra and we would play, you know, we ended up playing Disney Hall a bunch and we did New Orleans Jazz Fest. And it was like this kind of like, it was a real scene here in LA. And anyway, this guy, he would always hit me up about, um, uh, he would always hit me up asking for musicians like because he knew i was part of this orchestra so he's just like rafael sadiq is working in the studio or L- lucy pearl is working in the studio that we need a tuba player i know you know a tuba player and i would be like yeah sure and that's um, awesome and yeah so like i kind of kept that relationship op- over the years and then you know at a certain point it was just like when is you know i'm not thinking too much about like you know, is he, he's going to put me on something or whatever, but it's just like every year there would always be like, you know, he hit me up a few times, like, Oh, we need, do you know he, like I need two cellists, like a trombone player, all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, sure. And you're like, yo, you need a bass player. Yeah. I, <laughs> no I, I never really, <laughs> I, I never really went there with that. But I finally did. Cause he finally was just like, yeah, can you, can you let me know about like somebody who, um, who plays like, you know, let's say like bass and they, play some guitar and they you know they write and they have some gear and I was just like, motherfucker. <laughs> like I like you know and, and I and I finally uh, I finally put my, you know, hat in the ring. I was just like, Yeah, you know, oh yeah, you know, got this thing and as a matter of fact, you know, we have this production team, you know, and which we didn't really, you know, at all. <laughs> But at the time, our band Kneebody had been nominated for a Grammy for this record that we played on, that we did of Charles Ives music, which was just so far out of the pop was, sphere. Yeah. But it was like there was that, and then there was um, my friend Josh had broken into that world, and he had had a big song with Estelle and Kanye West. And I was just like, "Yeah, we have this. We have this writing team, you know." And it's like it just kind of took like throwing our you know hat in the ring, yeah. And ended up. Leading to us um, writing with CeeLo Green. And some of that CeeLo music didn't make it to CeeLo and it ended up making it to Bruno Mars. Wow. And it was just like, it, that was like the first kind of foray into that world, which is like real great luck, um, mm-hmm. but also really built on all of the stuff. Because the guy, the Josh that I'm talking about is Josh Lopez. And he was, we started playing music together when we were 15 in Denver. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was a big thing. Like that kind of just got mm-hmm. me into that world. I remember that was just really like a lot of my more creative music, jazz oriented friends were moving to New York at the time. That was about 10 or 11 years ago. They're moving to New York. And I, you know, I was just like, do I have to move to New York too? Um, but I remember just really thinking, no, I want to stay here in Los Angeles and like really invest in the the music yeah. world. here."
0: And for those that like aren't familiar with, you know, um, what writing in that world is like, how did you um especially with like bruno uh tell us a little bit about what that writing experience is like when well, i you, so you've you finally put your hat in the ring you guys are getting the opportunity to do some of this and and starting with silo and then making that but um do you uh, i guess kind of going back to your island analogy you know how do how do how did you bring that island into now that group of other artists and other you know people producers things like that and say okay here's what kave could bring to the table. Did you guys kind of come in with a clean slate? Did you say, all right, I kind of, I kind of have a sense of what we could do with this. Let's just start shooting stuff out. Did the relationships that you have with the musicians you're working with, like did some of that stuff come naturally?
1: Yeah. Like I, I think there's a little bit of everything with, with that early stuff. It was, it was really, um, it was really, uh, the early stuff was, was, was really, uh, there was a lot of learning going on, like learning the gear and like learning the vocabulary. Like uh, it's, it's, it's really important to kind of just hear what's out there and what, and what the whole pool of music is and not, you know, so if you end up in the room with an artist, not just kind of like, just kind of knowing what kind of things they would probably like and just being kind of flexible. And that's, that's flexibility as a bass player. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. bass players, we have to be really flexible with, you know, what kind of styles we're bringing, like bringing to the table, what kind of, what kind of bass we're going to bring. Are going to play with our thumb, with our fingers, with a pick, what kind of amp, what kind of, you know, whatever. And right. You don't really have that opportunity sometimes to work directly with the artists at that level. Correct. That's true. That's true. Um, but then also, I mean, sometimes you do, and that's kind of another story which I'd like to get into, but, yeah. but I think, I think um, for, for that kind of writing um, there was, it's it's uh there's a lot of there's a lot of just kind of picture you have to picture like how you picture the artist like you have to picture like what world you picture them in and you also have um people from the label um producers or a and r people that are really they have a real specific you know we want something we're looking for something that sounds like x y and z so it's like you do have some parameters and you have a lot of you know um but then that goes back into that whole thing of like a couple of years go by and, and then i start getting called for certain things that I've brought in with certain artists. And a big thing for me, yeah, a big thing for me was getting to work with Michelle Yeah, and getting to getting, you know, just Michelle Nadegeo for those that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle Nadegeo cello. She's, she's, I mean, you know, she's a dear friend. She's a, she's, a hero of mine since her first album came out and, um, and a really amazing, wonderful person. And, um, I co-wrote the song, um, uh, conviction that was, that was on her album Comic Come to me. Such a great song. Thank you. And that Uh, was a song that was like, that was something where I had written, I had written three or four because she and I got together one time through a a producer friend of mine, another old friend, this guy, Kefis Chauncia. We knew each other since we were 15 and Keefus had been working a lot with Michelle. And I came over to Keefus's place to, to work on something. And I brought my bass. I had my bass and a guitar in a double gig bag. And I came in and Michelle's there. And I was like, what, what the hell am I going to do? Like, why? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, and that was the first time I met her. And it was like, I, what am I going to do? You know, like, I was like, you're playing bass. I'm not playing bass, you know, like, and I played guitar on that. And we wrote, I remember we wrote something. It was, it was something for another artist that Keefus was working with. And that's how my friendship with Michelle started. Mm -hmm. And I remember she was, she was writing for a project and she hit me up. She's like, what are you you know, like, do you have, like, I want to write, like, what do you, what do you have? And yeah. And so at that point I was working with this big Italian artist uh, named Liga Bue and I was in Italy and I had my little recording rig and I remember just kind of writing these ideas and she had just hit me up with, with that. And I was writing for my own project, my own record. But I remember like, there was like three or four ideas that were like, I could hear Michelle singing over this. Mm. And, um, I, I remember sending her, uh sending her like little bounces of the demos i made and she she i didn't hear back from her and the next time i saw her uh i was back in the states and i went and had dinner with her um at her place and and we didn't even talk about that we didn't talk about music or the songs i had sent i didn't even i didn't hear anything she's like like just as i was leaving she was just like Oh yeah. I wrote, you know, I wrote to one of your ideas. I was like, what? You know? And then I was like, okay, I'll see you later. And then it turns (laughs) out that she wrote convictions. She wrote that to the exact demo that it did. Like there's no, it's, it starts in the exact same place. So when we finally recorded it and I got to play bass on it, we finally recorded, we just like literally just redid the demo. Like she just took it. Like, it's like, there's no like, there's no, there's no changes in the form. And she just wrote to the form. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was, that was amazing. And I guess like, for me, one of the biggest lessons in songwriting is that, um, and I've talked about this a lot, but I think it's really important for everybody to know is that there are a, a thousand different ways to write a song. Like, um, and I remember being like early on being really possessive of my ideas, like really, you know oh no you can't change this especially if you know people who are listening like if you're in a band if you've ever had this feeling where it's like writing collaboratively can be challenging sometimes because sometimes you might not you might not hear what somebody else is hearing and you might not want your idea to change too much
0: mm.
1: but sometimes that can be really helpful um, especially when you're writing with other artists, getting to write for an artist or getting to be in the studio collaborating like that, it's like, it's all about being flexible and just kind of like knowing when to really assert yourself and yeah. then also knowing when to support and just support another idea, you know? Yeah. I feel like that also takes a lot of humility too, as a
0: musician, you know, right. to, to do that. But it, I, I, especially, you know, looking at someone like you in your career, it, the, the opportunities I guess that it affords, not just in terms of work, but just really in terms of what you can do through your instrument, it comes so much wider now.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: How, how, I guess it, it sounds to me like, um, a lot of what you doing when you're writing song is also, um, a, a big, just community engagement. Like how do you engage in the community of musicians? So, um, I guess my question there becomes, so, you know, how did this community over time start to expand? And then how did, um, how did that, how did you get to the point where you said, hey, I want to write for me right now? especially with, you know, your album Haunted This Way, which is fantastic, guys. If you, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, go get it, go check it out, go support Kave. Um, But tell us a little bit about that bridge from stepping out of the com- songwriting community with people and now saying, okay, I'm going to take some time to write for me. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was always a real desire to, to be able to do that. And I was always so inspired by my friends who had, who had made their own albums, um, and inspired and kind of intimidated to kind of put my own voice out there. And that, mm-hmm. that can be, it can be really nice to, um, and kind of comfortable <clears throat> to be a sideman because you're kind of always hiding behind the, uh, some, somebody else's vision, you know? Yeah. And you've got this kind of like, um, you've got that convenient foil where you can just be like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, the, you know, I want to make their thing great and it's their face that goes on it and their name that goes on it. So, um, I just, yeah, I just remember being like, you know, I mean, my, my, uh, my dear friends and uh, endless source of inspiration and everybody's inspiration, Nate Wood, um, yeah. for Kneebody. I remember he made his first record when he, <laughs> the one man band, band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to check out his stuff. He, but he made his first album when he was 23. And I remember it really, it was incredible. It's an incredible song. He played, he played every instrument and sang and mixed it and mastered it and did it all himself. And that was like, that was so intense for me. Like, I remember mm-hmm. just being like so inspired and so intimidated at the same time. Where it's just like, what, then what do you do? Like, where do you yeah. You know, like that's, that's just such a, a high level of artistry right there. And so I just remember like having people like that, or there's another guy named John Wood who does this thing called learning music monthly. He did it for a while. He did four years, four years of making an album a month. So think about wow. that, that, is, four that is, times 12 Yeah, he made that many albums in four years. And it's like, it's just that kind of freakish output. And they're all really great. They're all really interesting and great. Um, so for me, it was just really, it just felt it was it was intense to kind of finally make a record and and um, and uh, but it felt so liberating to to finally sit down and and finish ideas. For me, it was like finishing things because I had tons of ideas built up and I had tons like the album haunted this way. I made two albums. I put out two albums in two years. The first album I put out was Light of Love. Mm-hmm. And the second one was haunted this way, but haunted this way, the music had already been written. It had, it had been written years before. And for me finally coming around to like finishing it was, was a big challenge. Wow. And that's, and that's, that's what I, I like. I, I want a lot of people to take away from, from, from this is, is just like the, the act of finishing something is like, is, is key you know, cause mm-hmm. it's like, you can have thousands of ideas in your mind and on your hard drive or whatever, but it's like, you need to finish it you need to just step away from it. It needs to be done. You need to put it out. And that just felt so good to finally, like, you know, you put, you know, you put yourself out there, like you put out your first record, you put out your next one, hopefully you work on another one. And it's just like, if you have that d- desire, if you have that, dr- you know, that, that feeling that you want to you yeah. want to express yourself. So it's it's been really liberating to just just You're finish. Something. It
0: yeah. almost sounds too like a, a real full circle of experience especially considering where our conversation started and and finding your identity as a musician through songwriting, yeah. working and then doing it for others and now at the back end, you know, complete like you said, fin- finishing it, getting it yes, done. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I I guess my question then, you know, was like how uh what's next? Uh, now that you've gotten this project, do you find yourself creatively freed up to now um, either write new or differently, or like where, where's yeah. Kave after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, there, there's a couple of other uh, songwriting uh, experiences that have been really, really incredible for me, and some of like one of them was getting to getting to work with <clears throat> some of my closest friends on writing and recording and producing, co-producing, uh, the last De La Soul record. Wow. Um, which was a fantastic
0: uh, album. Holy
1: smokes. Yeah. it's the album's called and the anonymous nobody. It was, it was, it was just such a pleasure to, to work on. And that was like a, it was, it was a real kid in the candy store kind of a moment. And they were a band for me that was like, they were like the Beatles. They are the Beatles of hip hop for me, where it was just like every record built, like I was a fan from their first album when -hmm. it came out and, and like everything that they would put out subsequently would just be like, where are they now? Like, what are they doing now? And it would just be so exciting. they just seem so cool and funny and fun and also like deep at the same time. And, and getting to work with them was, was one of those experiences. Um, that was amazing. Um, also, uh, I, I did a lot of work with, uh, uh Sabrina Claudio and she's yeah. a, she's a fantastic talent, um, fantastic artist. And on her last two albums, you can really hear my bass playing and also my writing as a bass player. Um, her, her single, uh, truth is, which is the the title of her album is, is, uh, was just written by, by myself and her and Julia Michaels. And I was playing just, just the electric bass and you can hear it. You can hear it in the song. Um, uh, so yeah, like getting to, getting to write like that, it's been incredible. There's the song collide. That was um, um, the, the, the first single from the, the film queen and slim that came yeah. out Oxford, mm-hmm. that was another song that was written, written on the bass um, mm-hmm. that I, that I wrote on the base. Like that riff is a bass riff. Um, and, um, so for me, I don't know, like I, w- where I see myself going, like, I just want to continue kind of doing what I'm doing, you know? And, um, it's been, it's been an incredible kind of journey through, And, you know, it continues to be, and it's, it's, it's still really inspiring and exciting, you know?
0: So for bassists that are listening to this, you know, who are, um, who are some people in your opinion, some, some of just the, if you had to give, you know, the top three, five, whatever the number is, uh, who are the people that we should be going and immersing ourselves in when it comes to songwriting? Who are some of your favorite songwriters that you say, you just,
1: you got to get into this? Um, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Stevie Wonder is is everything. He he plays every instrument and it's just got such a deep um and he's just got so much joy and pocket and depth in all of his music. Um Stevie would be the biggest one. Um and then <clears throat> uh another one for me would be uh definitely the Beatles. Um another one would be uh, Joni Mitchell. Um, another would be, um, Elliot Smith was a big influence. Yeah.
0: Um, And how, like, I guess as a basis, like, you know, a lot of times I think sometimes we'll listen to these things and we'll of course be attracted to what we're hearing that is from our instrument. But, um, in your opinion, I guess, how how should we be listening also to some of this music differently? Because I could say, like, you know, Stevie Wonder, I mean, so many of us, right, have learned so many of those uh, key bass lines, you know, throughout the years. And um, but what what is a fresh approach that we could take? What are some of the things we should be listening for? Um, especially if you're someone who maybe wants to dive into the world of songwriting and you've never, you know, tapped into that part of, you know, you musically. Um what can we do?
1: Well, I guess I, I, I think, I think you can do a few different things to kind of strengthen that muscle. Like <clears throat> one thing you can do as a bass player is, um, one thing that was really helpful for me, um, was as a bass player is just kind of like, um, learning, you know, and, and and for me, it kind of can't happen later. Like some, some bass players do this like first thing in their, in their development. For me, it was really it served me later to kind of like transcribe songs and, um, create kind of like a, um, um uh, like a two voice, two or three voice kind of like a solo version of the song. Um, cause that just kind of, it was a fun challenge on the instrument. Um, and it was also like led to some cool, you know, like. Uh, technical li- limits and challenges, you know, like, so like taking like, you know, John John Lennon has a song, Jealous Guy, and Donny Hathaway played it live, and you know, just kind of like working on like, you know, you know, like, being able to play a song like solo by yourself with a couple of different voices. That for me, was huge. Like as a bass player, like I would recommend doing that kind of a thing mm-hmm. because when you're in the, you're just kind of like, you're you're forced to kind of look at the song and you kind of come up with your own arrangement. You don't transcribe anybody else's arrangement. You just like listen to the song. Mm-hmm. It has to be your own. It can't be somebody else's like, look what, so-and-so did on this song like Victor Wooten is great for that like where he does that kind of stuff but it's like don't learn Victor's arrangements which are glorious make your own Mm. that helps you to kind of create your own problems and kind of overcome your own kind of things and and I guess that's huge I would also like learn songs like learn how to sing a song you know um, I got to work with Bruce Springsteen last year on his uh, live Western stars project, And we, they made a movie. Um, I played bass on that on the soundtrack. And I remember when I learned that music, I wrote down every lyric so that when I finally, and this is great as a bass player, if you're ever doing this, like this is good bass player advice, which I wish I would have taken for myself like 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, but it's like write down every lyric. If you have the time to do this, sometimes you don't, <laughs> yeah. but, um, because when you get in there, it's like, you're just so much more inside of the song, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess that goes for like learning as many songs from a songwriter perspective as you can, you know? Yeah. And finding the song. And another thing too, is just like songs that you, uh, you know, songs that you love. Um, like, let's say you grew up like loving nothing, but, you know, like Guns and Roses. You know, and then all of a sudden you find yourself at Berklee School of Music, and you're studying like Mark Johnson, you know, or, or something like that, which is like, just don't lose that original voice. What got you into music, like the Guns N' Roses stuff? Like, mm-hmm. learn every Guns N' Roses song, you know, that you can, because that's what spoke to you. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. Like that's, that's, that's a great
1: what point. that's what you got you into music. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, um. I guess those are, those are, those are things that, that sometimes like if, if I'm teaching a lesson, like we'll spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Cause I feel like when you're, when you immerse yourself on that side, especially of a song or of an artist, you just play differently. (laughs) You you know, it's just like, I I think about like the songs that even for myself, that like I've memorized and playing and dancing around it is so much more um, enjoyable because yeah. you, like you said, you're so in tune with everything that's going on and why you fell in love
1: with the song. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, like Stevie was that example. Like Stevie's music was just playing in the house from the time I was in my mom's belly. Like, you know, wow. Intervision was always playing uh, and Songs in the Key of Life and those, those classic era records. And I remember when I became a bass player and started learning how to play, I didn't learn those songs. I didn't learn those, like those, I, you know, I kind of categorize it as like DNA music. Like that's your DNA, like no matter what, like that's where you came from. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, I didn't touch that music because it was like, it was almost like that wasn't music. It was just like, it was like earth, you know, or water or food or sustenance where it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, if you're, if you're getting into like playing jazz bass, like you've got to listen to, you know, you get exposed to a a Miles Davis record that you wouldn't have, you know, like you're being told by somebody to listen to this Miles Davis record. I think just for everybody, like, it's really important to like don't ignore that DNA music and be honest about what it was. Like, that's what makes, you know, some of my favorite new composers or like, uh, like, people like Thundercat or people like Lewis Cole. Yeah. Like so exciting because like they've not only are they just fantastic musicians and writers and players, they also are unapologetically embracing their earliest voices, like the voices of like the kinds of music that really got them going,
0: you know, especially like Thundercat, you know, even his bass playing aside, you can just, you can hear all the people that have poured into his musical side. and yeah. it's it's really nice because it's like it, as i guess as a as a listener, you're listening to it, and it's almost like if I was to write it almost sounds like you're writing a letter to those artists, here's what you would have to say, you know what i mean yeah and uh, yeah. and it, and it's it's really special because it's all it's a new interpretation, a new voice, and how like I, I don't know, I feel like some people um we can't ignore what we've grown up around and listened to, and how that kind of musically sprouts itself. Uh, yeah, I think when we can change it and, and kind of make it, like you said, like part of our own identity,
1: it actually creates something new. Go figure. Yeah. And, and I think too, like, it's important to, to not be too hard on yourself about, I, I think for a lot of people who don't write, mm-hmm. the, one of the biggest hurdles is saying, oh, I'm not good enough. Or, "I I, I don't, you know, how, what would I do? You know, like, oh, I don't know, you know, like. I think, I think, you know, the big, like, was it Woody Allen who said like a biggest part, of, like 99% of success is just showing up, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm misquoting or anything, but <laughs> it's that idea of like, just do it, just finish yeah. it, kind of get it out there. And that, that is, I mean, that's another thing that I'll try to like talk to bass players about, like, Like, let's say you come up with a groove, you know, like a a groove on the bass and you improvise something. Just get into that thing where it's like, you can just kind of play that groove over and over and over and over again. And then that becomes something. It actually becomes, it becomes like that drawing on the page that, you know, that before, before you drew it, it just wasn't there. And now you did it and you made it and you, you know, like if you can play it four times or if you can play it for four minutes straight, then it's, it's, it exists, you know, don't be afraid to just kind of put yourself out there and, um, and, and, and just try not to second guess yourself too much.
0: You know, can't say it any better, man. Well, Kaveh, thank you so much, man, for, for sharing with us and for talking to us about this, this whole new world about, uh, songwriting and, and, um, and for, for those that want to find you, whether that's
1: on social media, some of your albums, tell them where they can find you. Um, well, uh, I thank you, Jordan, for having me and Aguilar for being such a great, um, uh, it's such a great company over all the years. It's just been, it's, it's an honor and, and, and really thank you for this, for this, oh, uh, our honor, our honor. Yeah. But, um, I, uh, yeah, you can find me, I've got a website, it's com. You can also find me on social media. I, um, I have an Instagram page. I have a YouTube page. Twitter, all that stuff. I'm not hard to find. So definitely, and and I love it when people reach out. Um, I love staying in touch with everybody. So definitely, definitely say hello if you're. Oh, and then use awesome. my daughters? Ooh, hey,
0: yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kaveh, thanks so much again, my friend, and uh, and we'll be in touch soon. And guys, again, Kaveh Rastegar with us here on Aguilars Podcast. Take it easy. Thanks, Jordan.